So it's something super simple as a tree fall on a fence. Who's responsible for this? An HOA or the county commission or my pipe burst in my yard? Is this a county or the federal congressman? Or I want to address climate change. Like people have different issues and everyone thinks that it's this massive, I need to save the world, but people are trying to face everyday issues and see what can help them navigate that. Hello, this is the Great Battlefield Podcast. I'm Nathaniel G. Perlman. A great political battle is being fought right now between progressives and the forces of reaction on the other side. This show is about the political entrepreneurs and other progressive leaders who are finding new or improved ways to fight. My guest today, Akeem Evans, is co-founder and CEO at Election Bridge. Election Bridge builds tools for organizations that are working to create their own civic networks. Akeem, whose firm recently was selected to the newest Higher Ground Labs cohort, has an interesting story about how he came to tackle this challenge. And we had a good conversation about his work so far in political entrepreneurship. So after a quick word from my sponsor, my interview with Akeem Evans of Election Bridge. Check out the large, detailed, and high-quality political data graphic posters from TimePlots. Our visual history of the American presidency, for example, lets you see the Clinton, Bush, Obama, and Trump presidencies in full context. Timeplot's library includes visual histories of the United States House, the United States Senate, the Supreme Court, and the Democratic and Republican parties. Find them all at www.timeplots.com. Use the code BATTLEFIELD for a discount. Akeem. Would you mind introducing yourself and giving me a quick biography? Yeah, 100%. So my name is Akeem Evans. I am a Georgia State grad. I graduated in economics and public policy. Went on to work as a congressional staffer for a Democrat out of Georgia 4. Then overseas to work as a community organizational volunteer in Albania for two and a half years before coming back in. Spending some time working with World Central Kitchen and then before starting the company now, um, a stint with the CDC, helping both respond to the COVID pandemic. Sounds like a pretty varied career so far. Yes and no. It's all been in the public sector. I guess that viewpoint, which helped me shape the concept for what the company has become now, what it kind of seeks to accomplish. What it was like growing up, what kind of family, what kind of neighborhood, what were you like as a young man? I would say always curious when I was younger. That curiosity didn't always translate into speaking. <laughs> so it was funny that they always try to get me to, but I was more as a, of an observer. Caribbean descent. So mother and father from Jamaica started in New York, moved to Georgia really early on. So I went to high school and a lot of my development years happened in Metro Atlanta. So a lot of people don't know, but Gwinnett is like the suburban part cornerstone of Atlanta. So I'm probably like 45 minutes out of Atlanta. But if I travel anywhere and they ask me where I'm from, I usually say Atlanta. What was it about your background that led you to more public sector type work? Do you think that's related? I wanted to become an economist. That was my biggest thing. And I have a great story about that. Um, I think it was like late, high, late um, elementary school. And my mom was like, hey, when you go down there, your grandmother's going to give you $100. 
So me being like fifth or sixth grade, I was like really excited and I went down and I got the hundred dollars from my grandmother. And then I went to go buy like a, a drink and the guy was like, Hey, this is $80. And I remember running back to my grandmother and say, he's trying to rip me off. <laughs> he's telling me the drinks cost $80. And then she was like, yeah, that's so much it costs. And then ever since that, I learned earlier on the value of currency and what that means. And I always grew up just really having passion around economics and went to Wait, school. I guess I did. I, Kim, I don't think I understood that. What, she gave you 100, but it was 80. What, what are you saying? It was 100 Jamaican dollars. Ah. So <laughs> one U.S. dollar is a, the approximate equivalent of 100 Jamaican dollars. Ah, right. Okay, I got it. See, that disconnect is what I had as a... (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Wait, it's a dollar. It should be a dollar. (laughs) Well, there's a far stretch from curiosity about currency and wanting to go into economics. Um, Yeah. I mean, that's where it started when I was younger and I continue to ask questions and economics kind of stemmed as I wanted to do like international business and economics. Um, But then when I went to Georgia State, they didn't have the international business track. Did you like studying econ and public policy in college? Seems a little dry to me. Love econ, especially when you get into the more, I guess, deep, the deeper courses later on in the college career. And then once you start to see how, I guess, public policy ties into a lot of the um, day-to-day activities and how econ and financial and consumer preference all builds back into that and understanding people. So my kind of la- thing that I latched onto. Um, in econ, in addition to that, was like, uh, I guess, how would I say this? Like understanding human behavior, consumer preference, consumer thought, and um, that kind of feedback into it. So that was kind of where I leaned. And then that kind of stemmed more into the public policy where you just started to see how it all come, came together. And that's. Tell me about what you were learning as you moved from those early jobs from one to another. Yeah. So I started off as a staffer, and that was amazing to see the government functioning um, from the federal level and then seeing how states and local parts of the district work together and us putting two events together to kind of facilitate and bring resources down for that. Which Congress member was from the fourth? Hank Johnson. So I worked with his team for from 2015 to 2018. So I was blessed to get the job right out of college. We continue to grow through that ecosystem. You go up to D.C. or you try to push or go to another congressman and hopefully eventually you become a chief of staff. But I met someone who had just came back from a Peace Corps somewhere in the South Asian, Asian countries. And then he was like telling me about the experience. And I had just come back from a trip to South America. And I was like, at happening at the same time, like just coming back from a trip from a developing country, hearing about going overseas and working with governments in developing countries. And I could just felt like I can see myself fitting in that role. So that helped me to apply. I wasn't sure I was going to do it, but as I continued the application process, it just happened at the right time. Um, I had a couple of stipulations. I had to be leaving at the beginning of the year. I had to be doing, um, some type of economic development. And those are my two biggest things. And those just happened to line up at the same time. And the third thing that fell into place, it would just end up being Albania, which ended up being a great country. That must create a lot of growth, going abroad, working with with people very different, inevitably, geographically and otherwise. 
Was that true yeah. for you? 100%. I, I, I say it a lot. It helped me to be more comfortable taking on lead roles, responsibilities, because even as a staffer, it became, you know, you're an extension of the congressional person. A lot of times in instances where I, I had the opportunity to go to different parts of the district on his behalf and speak on different things. So as that responsibility grew and then I went to Albania and then now it seemed more impactful. It seemed like more firsthand where a lot of the resources are constraints and you see the direct implication into the people's lives. Like we get money. So the thing that was unique about Albania, it's an EU candidate country. So there was money coming in from the different embassies, the EU, um, Switzerland, various places as they start to build up that, um, that resume to go in order to get into the EU. Um, and then seeing it really impact their lives, like direct. So we brought and built the, the, um, the guest house or the restaurant. We saw them using or saw the building and the economic development coming directly into the city or we're working on gender equality or youth inclusion projects and really seeing the pushback and people having to take risks to step out of their comfort zone to be the first faces or representatives of this initiative that we're trying to introduce to a lot of times rural areas of the country that wouldn't have done it before. So having that helped me develop and become more comfortable in being a leadership role. There can't be a ton of Jamaican Americans in Albania. How did they treat you there? I would say I was one of one, (laughs) Uh, especially in my town. I think it was probably a 60,000 people and I was the only um, person of color there. Oh, black person of color. I did have a site mate that was Asian American and we did a good job. So they were really welcoming. It's, I would say, a very kind country and the people do things out of curiosity versus out of like ill intent. So if, when they first got there, there's a lot of like stares. It's like everyone's looking at me like, who's this? Yeah. Why is he here? What's going on? <laughs> um, and then the more they got, I they, they got to know me and I was in the community and they saw what I was doing and I became closer, obviously, because we we're helping to do different projects. They became more of a protector. So if anyone else came into the community and they would stare at me, like, hey, leave him alone. He's one of us. <laughs> I even have an Albanian name and... <laughs> Well, and you, you have a sort of likability, I can tell right away, that probably served you. Yeah. So what was next after you came back from that? So before I came back, there was an earthquake that happened in Albania towards the tail end of 2019. And there is an international NGO called World Central Kitchen. They go around to different disaster zones and they be, uh, they're usually the first sometimes provider to help with food resources in different communities. So they came over to Albania to help after that earthquake. And they needed someone to kind of be the mediator between these Americans and then these Albanian communities. And I worked in government and I can speak the language. So I ended up being a great fit. So the Peace Corps helped out and allowed me to go work with them. So I ended up being like the translator to help bridge that resource to the community. And after that, I came back. And it was March. So I was the second to last flight out of Spain right before the world shut down because of COVID, which was really intense. So I I got back in March and then April, they reached out and said that, you know, we're ramping up initiative here in the United States to help address COVID. Would you be interested in 
um, helping out and leading the state of Georgia operations. Just came back from Albania, just worked with them, loved what the team was doing. So I immediately said yes. And I was hitting the ground running, trying to figure out how I'm going to stand up a food industry <laughs> focused <laughs> response where I haven't been in the country for the past three years almost. <laughs> and I worked zero time in the food industry before that. <laughs> how did that go? Um, well, well, so they supported introducing me to um, some restaurant owners that they were familiar with. And then because of my connections, I was able to tap back into some of those that introduced us to a lot of the nonprofit arms that was able to provide the feedback. So it's a nice collaborative ecosystem of us, restaurants, nonprofits, food, dis- food distributors that we created this ecosystem. And over, I think we went from April to August over that four months, I think we've distribute over a half million meals to different families across the state. So it's really cool, really impactful. And yeah, I wouldn't take it back. It was a great experience being a part of that. Was there anything else between that and Election Bridge? Yeah, I took a quick contractor stint from the CDC. So I was getting resettled at this point. I wanted, you know, to get back a car and buy random stuff. And they told me I had a thin credit file, so I had to go get a real job. So I called it my, my transition to a big boy job. <laughs> um, so I did a quick stint helping out as a grants manager for CDC to do the same thing. Grants project manager for CDC doing the same thing around project. I mean, COVID response to different states and helping distribute and manage funds that went out to different states across the U.S. So what's the sort of founding story for Election Bridge? Yes, around that time. So a lot was happening towards the tail end of 2020. We did food chess for the polls where we're you know, they were talking about the long Georgia lines and we were able to go out and provide foods to families that were in these extended lines. So I was working and being more of a consultant role in that aspect. And while I was learning to onboard with the CDC as a contractor. But during that time, just because of my help with the different organizations and the people knew that I worked in government for so long, they started reaching out to me to for help with how to figure out who to vote for, how to do voter registrations, how to kind of get involved because the 2020 elections was a, for me coming back, one of the more media focused, heavy elections that I've seen ever. I don't know if maybe you have a different perspective on it, but it was everywhere. <laughs> they are, the presidential elections tend to be, but yeah. <laughs> um, and then, so they started doing that. And I, as a project manager, as you kind of heard from different since my career, just kind of became a problem project that I wanted to focus on and solve. And the more I dove into trying to centralize information, which I thought I was good at before, and I started to read, understand how much I really didn't know. And I was like, this is something that we should be making for everyone. And that was like the base of the app. Over the past two years, we've kind of expanded scope from what that means to cover a larger issue. But that was kind of the story. I we saw that. I reached back out to a, a friend of mine who is now the co-founder of the company, Jermaine Hartsfield, and we just talked about the problem and some of the different things we kind of correlated between here and seeing an early democracy in Albania and then comparing it to our democracy here and building a foundation for our, what ended up becoming our company. And we started going full-time in 2020. So 2021 was like exploration kind of see what's going on. 2022 is when we went full-time and really started focusing on building the company. You were dealing with Congress right as Trump was 
coming up and winning and then starting to govern. I'm curious about what your thoughts were about sort of the Republican Party and his presidency from where you sat. I think like most, I wasn't expecting how the elections turned out. And then once this shift happened with Trump being in office, it was a learning period from when I was there. So I think he got elected in 2016. Everyone was still trying to figure out how Trump fit into that equation when he came in 2017. And he really started to set the foundation for his, I guess, legacy as president around 2017. He started making things come into place. It was an interesting time trying to figure out how to talk to our constituents slash see how people felt about it on the Hill and how different people interacted. But when majority of his presidency, I was overseas and the way he was perceived there in certain instances, you know, and it could be just my experience because I was in a really homogenous country or countries surrounding it. And they saw me and then they would say, oh, they'd say, oh, Obama, great president. And they'd be like, Trump. And eh. it's like, I don't know how to really respond to that because we really had to take that no political stance <laughs> um, when it came to it. But then that was kind of the perception that was perceived around. So I really got to see his international, I guess, repercussions of his presidency versus the tangible here. But when I came back, it was just evident because of the heavy drive to see someone else in office or see a change in office that really ignited other people to start reaching back out to me, even though I've been gone for so long to try to be involved. I mean, in a certain sense, he created civic engagement on both sides. Right. Or he, you know, raised the ante so much. Um, Right. More people want to Is that something you've observed too? I would say yes. Plus I would add him in addition to kind of generational focus and shift. So my whole thing is that technology has, you know, everyone said technology made the world flat. It's allowed us to kind of innovate in a way or make more exposure to different things to get more people involved. So I believe technology had a part to play and timing too had a part to play. Everyone talks about it. The, the great push from, you know, the Obama who used social media and media in a great way to kind of build off his election and then Trump coming in in a more digitized age, which then helped fuel um, his push for civic engagement on both sides. But technology and people's desire to kind of give back to their communities has helped kind of build that civic engagement. So I wouldn't all attribute to Trump. He had a great big part of it, but the time, technology, and the I guess the reshift of a newer generation, I think, helped play the role to all of that. The new. If you were going to write a quick biography of your company to this date, what are the key chapters? Um, I would say the first chapter was the learning. So in the beginning of the first chapter was learning both the expansiveness of our, our civic system, our civic ecosystem from you know, what's supposed to happen with us and then the public sector, who is really the the drivers and then the government, which kind of end up being the, the policy passers slash funders of, I guess, you, if you want to look at it that way, the system and just really seeing how those three kind of components work interchangeably with each other, work with each other to drive our society and then learning what technology was. So, at no point did initially did you hear a big technology focus in my background. 
but I had to learn really quickly <laughs> what a wireframe was, like what uh, app versus web app, like really basic things that, you know, some people in the tech space may take for granted. But over time, I've, you know, continues to learn and been able to lead product teams and understand the different. Did, did Jermaine bring tech background at all? Um, no, he brought operations. So Jermaine is amazing to where I um, sometimes may need someone to help fill in the gaps when we're moving fast. So I can be great, but he's organizational. So he helps build organization structure, culture, and development around a lot of the strategy and implementation that we both bring together. So he helps steer the ship as I drive, if that makes sense. We co-steer. <laughs> um, yeah. And then the second chapter, I guess, would be experimentation. So then we developed something, we tried to go out, we got accepted into our first accelerator and we were able to talk to a bunch of professors and we tried a bunch of things and we tested some stuff out. And then the next chapter that we're in now, it's, how do you say this? What's that, what's that phrase when it's like that pivotal moment? Can we become a full-fledged company and flip this around and make this work? Or do we need to go back and figure some more stuff out? But we have, I believe, all the pieces that we need to, you know what I mean, become an impactful company is just for better or worse. You guys have, hopefully everyone's looking to me and I try to instill confidence in my team and lean on my co-founder when needed to be able to steer the ship in the right way and get us where we need to go over the next couple of months. seems like the basic core of any company is the business model, right? The who is going to pay you for what? Unfortunately, that's kind of the way it works. How does that arranged in your current version of your company? In the current version of a company, the organizations pay us for being a service to them. The organizations are your clients and yeah, organizations so like, like, give me an example of some of the organizations who are on board. Let's go with the homeowner association. So homeowner association, we use our platform to talk to their community members, figure out what the problems are. So have that forum to have those discussions, but then also get updates about the different policies that are affecting their areas, different programs that they can apply for, different zonings that are happening around their community, other discussions. So we helped kind of be that government relations at high end, you know, let's say management groups provide to, you know, wealthier homeowner associations to keep them informed so they can be, I guess, active participants in things around the community. So an example of how that came about too was when I was in college, when I first came back to my mother's community, I saw their building and caught wind of the fact that they were going to build a cemetery across the street. So then I printed a bunch of flyers and I posted on everybody's mailbox. And then they went to the city meeting and said, this is not what we want. We don't want a cemetery across the street from our community. And this is just, me being really motivated because it's the community I grew up in and it's right across the street from this neighborhood. And then seeing the community turn out is the same service we provide to homeowner associations. Like these are the zonings. These are the type of stores that they're building. These are grant funding or special tax that were collected to do community improvement for roads or sidewalks or helping with trees or changing streetlights. So there's a lot of money that goes and sits in a pot. And I know this because I've spoken to county commissioners like, yeah, we're still spending special tax money from 2010 and it's 2023 that sit there that don't get effectively used for the purposes just because people don't know about it. So I would guess we're the last mile, as someone put it, 
for small organizations to help them access and benefit or understand what's going on around them. It seems to me like there's been a lot of people in that game from a software standpoint over the years from lots of different angles. When you look at sort of your competition or the other players that are relevant to an organization like the one you mentioned, what else is out there? How do you fit in and how do you stack up? Yeah. So there are other companies and other services and other providers doing something similar like this to organizations like the one I was talking about or, you know, being a person or a consultant service. Um, I say where we stack up and we are kind of, we're different is because this is stage one of multiple stages of the growth of our company. And as technology has evolved, it allows to do cooler things. So you access what our company looks like today. So today it looks like helping one organization to then access the government benefits. Tomorrow it's helping multiple of the similar organizations connect virtually and shared lessons learned that wouldn't have been able to connect because they're not joined by same some larger association. And even if you're a part of association, you don't really get the real benefits and learnings back. So if there's an HOA in Maine and there's one in Vermont and they both live in a rural area and they both have, you know, I mean, similar tax programs that pass to help fix roads, you know, I mean, this is a shared learning that this is the best way to access or learn or benefit from this program if you contact your ex in similar situations. So that's what it looks like tomorrow. And then the day after that, it's we've take this lessons learned and we've grab these users and then we can develop a system where you have your own virtual assistant. So that's what election bridge stands for. And the platform we're building off is called SIVA. And in a few years from now, hopefully everyone will be downloading your own civic virtual assistant, civic intelligence, virtual assistant. So it's helping you know what passionate laws you care about and helping paving way for that engagement. Many years ago, I built some software in the political space it was for fundraising and for compliance. And in the early stage, it became very clear that there was a need for this, that the people who had produced stuff in that space weren't doing a very good job. And if I could get a demo with a member of Congress or their staff, I would sell it like almost every time. It just was the right timing and it was targeted at a particular need that was actual and that would be people would pay for and was kind of a model for it. When you put your current stuff in front of an ideal type of client, what kind of response do you get currently? I'll use the HOAs, for example. It's usually us being a response to something or helping with a ongoing situation. So there's a development happening or plans break ground. Then we go to them and say, do you want to be involved? And do you want to engage and understand what's happening? And they usually say yes, or sometimes they say no, unfortunately, or if it's like I said, another one with the, we help the community get access to government funding. So we'd say that these are, you need road infrastructure improvements. We go see potholes and do you want to then spend. But is there like a package that you're selling them? Yeah. So there's a base package. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a base package that kind of gives you that base minimum we talked about. And the more involved and in depth that you want us to give you in, in different like updates and notifications, and that increases the package. And sometimes it's white labeling a website so they can build it all into one place because they don't have the web infrastructure in order to engage their members. So it depends on 
this kind of level of service and where we try to meet the community where they are or organization where they are and kind of build up the package from there. So a basic package and then kind of grow up. What's making you feel hopeful about the path forward? One, the technology. So it's like seeing what we're capable of doing and how we're able to kind of hone in, I guess, government for the people that we serve. And then two, again, that first person impact that you get to see that we saw the roads get fixed. We went and visited even this community because we're close to them. They're one of our early people that signed on. I've walked around with the board members and put up, helped put out flyers about their next community meeting. And we built in real life into the platform. So we tried to mimic what real life and what these organizations do. And we've done multiple interviews talking to them and seeing how the top three feel like burnt out and underappreciated. And sometimes people just throw money at them to try to solve a problem. So we really try to take what we learned and heard from the people and implement that back into the platform. Is this only something that works on the community side or is it something could be valuable to the local government or local officials or someone on that side? It's more valuable now to the community side. It will be valuable to the officials, et cetera, as they want to engage your communities. But that's a later build. But it is also valuable to larger organizations or initiatives led by government. So, for example, there are specific instances where a assortment of community groups need to come together to have like base discussions and shared insights about a program that's coming down, maybe on the government level. Because we have those individual organizations on, we can easily one connect them to the official and have them have like a group discussion, like a group overarching all the subgroups for specific issues that make sense. So it's like one group about issue X, but it includes three HOAs, one bike group, one trail group leader, and all the leaders of those are just now, because they're on a platform, implemented into a new group. And then from that, you can have that shared dialogue for that advisory committee for whatever issue that may be for the community. That sounds like a very detailed local cell and interaction seems like it would require an awful lot of hands-on work for your enterprise. Is that right? Not really. The hard work comes with us trying to grab all the siloed government stuff from everywhere. But then creating the group interaction is not that hard. The people who end up leading the groups help drive the groups. I, used to, I like to call them our, our Yelp users or our civic you know, I mean, champions. Because, you know, you have a person that usually has an idea and then they go galvanize other people and then they get them into a group. But that actually happens sometimes on a Facebook forum or a text message chain or something like that. That interaction and group growth is happening organically through our platform. But we just provide you with a ecosystem of other people doing the same group and metrics that you can then measure to help support your mission. When you go back and show your reach and scope back to the um, government space. So this is stuff that's happening. We're just creating a structured process around it, if that helps to show you what the person does. So what's your team right now, besides you and your co-founder? So there's me, the co-founder. We recently brought on uh, our CPO. He had a platform similar to ours, and I'm going to, because we're still working out the details of what that looks like, but he's full-time on our team now. I'm not going to say his name and his other company. 
but yeah, so you used to lead a civic company. Is it one that I've talked to? I am not sure. You have a lot of episodes. <laughs> Even though I've spent the entire year um, with Northeastern professors, spoke to Harvard professors, talked to MIT, which I had a great chance to pitch at the CCL event, which was really you know, rewarding. I feel like it was like a, a major accomplishment. Um, I spent exploring that. And then, but he brings on that pure product development experience that he can take on more of that role where I can focus on being more of a CEO, which is why I'm like excited to have him <laughs> because you don't understand how much time is spent talking to development teams and bring, pulling that together. <laughs> or you may, if you have those three people, who's building your software? Yeah. So we have a combination of. Northeastern student research support and or offshore development teams. So we have a nice combination of those both um, that help support and build in the back end and hold the company together. It seems risky to me to not have your own team building your own tech. Why did you make that decision or how have you mitigated that? Yeah, it is riskier and as we grow. But in the beginning, as we continue to build out proof of concepts and set the foundations for the tech stack that we're building, it's more cost effective to have the team offshore. But understanding and putting in best practices internally for security, et cetera, can help us to continue to um, be safe and try more things. Because I can offload a lot of resources heavier to be straight American team, but then we have one shot and that's it. (laughs) But if I can diversify, maybe get two or three, that can be a crucial pivotal point for the company if we try to go somewhere um, and it doesn't work. But we still listen to, like we just got into HGL and they're big on security and they let us know best practices. We're part of Northeastern and their researchers helped us put in some best practices. Horace is coming in with additional best practices on security and data, I guess. Best practices on how to manage data. So if you have some developers in various different ways and places, and you have the three of you, where's the money coming from to live off of and to pay your team? Yeah. So in the beginning, it was from Jermaine and I. We saved up a little bit. We did okay at points. Um, So it came out of our pockets. Plus, we had a great support system around us. So that really helped in the beginning. Then as we start to get a couple of customers and the state of Maine has been great, got some grant money from the state of Maine and we got into a few accelerators. We were accepted into a few accelerators, and that's really been keeping us afloat. A couple, some grants, um, some friends and family support. Jermaine and I putting in our own savings and really flooding into this, believing in it. And then a couple of early customers that took a chance on us, and then that's helped us get to where we are today. And how much of your monthly spend is coming from customers at this point? That would be hard to say, especially now because we're ramping up. Like I said, we're at that pivotal point to where we're adding more staff, we're adding more developers, but also getting a little bit more support and resources. Are you basically saying it's a small part so yeah. far from it's customers? Not, it's not yeah. huge. Yeah. So you, it's so, so it's sort of a race, right, to, to get enough customers before you run out of other ways to find money, investor money, sort of, or your yeah, own so money. Yeah, so we haven't fully tapped into investor yet. We're just starting that journey now and we have some early support and we're looking to close in a couple months. 
So we should be closing in October and everything goes by what we're planning it. Um, October, November. And that would be our first real raise. And then so our goal is to get a bunch of customer support, get a lot of people aware of the platform and to show them why they should invest in us. Then we can start the, the race of getting more customers before we run out of money. Higher Ground Labs often invests in sort of partisan applications and tools. How does what you do fit into that? Like I said, Higher Ground Labs is usually more um, progressive leaning, which a lot of my background leans to where I and as, as an individual stand. And, you know, obviously my a lot of my ideals like correlate back into the company. But we fit more into, I learned this the other day, soft side and hard side of campaign, of politics, I guess, where the hard side is more of the campaign side than going out the media. We're more on the soft side. We're more of the coalitions, unions, labor groups that need to bring pockets of their organizations and groups together to then drive a overall mission. We're sitting more of the side where we help support these progressive and nonpartisan groups to organize amongst themselves these affiliate pocket groups and then bring all that learning and ecosystems into one to then show, hey, this is why we need to do this because we have this learning, this impact, this interaction all on the national level. This is how that lessons and then support system can trickle back down. Has Higher Ground Labs been helping you find clients or find uh, other like other people in their cohorts that do similar things who might be helpful partners? Yeah. So we had our first week in Chicago, just kind of one learned from the group themselves, but also introduced us to different portfolio companies and or people in the space that can guide us on how to best approach customers and what they're looking for. So it's been a really learning experience so far. And then we go to DC in a couple of weeks to where we would be more towards the customers. And so we have a, a growing pipeline in progress where we can tap into a lot of not only resources, but continue to add more customers and then looking to investments. Who would you like to be introduced to? Who would be great client for you? Like if someone's listening to this and they're, not totally clear about how to help you or who could they bring towards you? I was a fellow with Northeastern University and I was joking with the person who was supposed to help me find a mentor. He's like, who do you want? Who's your wish list?" And I was like, bring me Obama. <laughs> so, oh, might as well shoot high, yes. Yeah, I know, right? The Obama Foundation would be great, obviously, just because they're a support system in the civic ecosystem. So joking, but not joking. But then also there's a lot of leaders in the space um, that try to do great things, you know, around this. So I would love to be introduced to any foundations that are really looking forward to driving civics and civic engagement and really looking to kind of help bring technology into the forefront of that. So, which is why we joined Higher Ground Labs, because we saw that they're very alike in the thought of applying technology to progressive space. I have talked to a lot of people who run uh, community organizing groups in mm -hmm. various states. Is that a good fit for you? Um, yeah, I believe if, you know, I mean, as they bring on their members, so we walk through like a theory of change, we call it. They have people come on who have an idea. And then from that idea, they need to one, engage people, get people to support them. They need to educate them. And then the thing that we think they need to do that most people don't do as much as measure that engagement and support that they've gotten. Then after that, you know, that group 
needs to learn about the policies and laws, but then join other groups in certain instances and engage those groups and have meetings and memberships and always, again, measure. And then connect with their elected officials of who support their mission and then send out messaging, show dashboards or reports about all their engagement and their lessons learned and then hope slash address or understand a policy. So that's what our platform inherently does. And we call that our theory of change from individual to engagement on a policy level. And that's what we can help us as community groups do, which sometimes they don't have that kind of lesson learned about how to go from, oh, I want to accomplish or solve a problem to how does that problem actually get solved? So are you a better fit for a local community group or for a national group that, you know, deals with electronics or something and has a whole lot of member organizations and has a big budget? I would say in order for the national group to be well, the smaller community groups need to be doing their job efficiently because their work helps supports the national. So the national is supposed to be supporting and being a one voice for all the their affiliate groups. So I'd say by strengthening their community groups, it's also strengthening the national chapter because it helps them to efficiently provide resources, show where they need to increase support. So say that you have a strong presence in one affiliate group with a connectivity with their elected officials, but not so much on another group. Maybe you need to focus some more of the national spending to do efforts in this part of the country or this group versus another group. And we help you identify those strengths and then kind of help that group then build the ecosystem to be self-sustaining. So I think they're one in the same. So if I can help you build a one group and then all the other groups around can learn, that's us virtually building a national group or a national group saying, let's continue to strengthen our, our affiliate groups because that's kind of what the national group is. If you raised a bunch more money, what sort of hires would you make? Um, I really appreciated what I saw with Royal Central Kitchen and how they had these kind of activators across the country. So those would be some initial ones because coming from Georgia, seeing stuff in DC slash New York and, you know, match the New York Philly area, then going up to Maine, which is completely different. I understand. And I've been to California. I understand that these different parts of the country are almost night and day. They have different issues. They have, they need different solutions and our platform needs to tailor to them slightly. So I feel like as we want to approach and grow across and be an overexpanding platform, we need to have these kind of, I guess, ambassadors in these different parts of the country to kind of be representative of what those needs are. So that's one. Two, obviously, I'm going to hire a bunch of engineers <laughs> um, because we have a lot of stuff that we want to build, some really cool stuff in the pipeline. So we can kind of make that move faster. I'll be excited about that. And three, there's this youth program that we do that's helped kind of subsidize some of the um, income for the company, which has been connecting with the city nonprofits and the school system to help them do civic engagement. So I'd hire someone to take that on full time as like a thing that the company does. So that's been awesome too. I don't want to lose that. Akeem, what should I have asked you that I haven't? I guess my question to you, why I think what you should ask me is why did you reach out to have me on the interview? Well, I think about what you should have asked me. Why did I reach out? Because I, I follow the entrepreneurs in political technology pretty closely. And because I saw that you got 
the higher ground labs grant or you know became part of their latest cohort and i was curious about what you're up to and i thought that other people who listen to this would also be it's been interesting to, to hear your story so i'm glad i did yeah awesome i think uh, one thing you should have asked me is what do i want siva to be when it's when she's done i guess <laughs> is the question once i'm done with siva what what does siva look like siva will never be done or your company will be done right like, <laughs> software is never done that's so true. Never mind. I take the question back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What would you like a mature Siva to look like? Yeah. yeah um, so I walked through a couple of stages of our company is going to go through starting from organization to association and then that back down to people and eventually governments. But I hope Siva becomes that household name people look to for civic information when they have an issue and that can help curate and be the host of, I guess, constructive dialogue and engagement towards solving problems that people are or issues that people are passionate about. How do you spell SIVA? C-I-V-A. So it stands for Civic Intelligence, Civic Intelligence Virtual Assistant. So it's something super simple as a tree fall on a fence. Who's responsible for this? An HOA or the county commission or my pipe burst in my yard? Is this a county or the federal congressman? Or I want to address climate change. Like people have different issues and everyone thinks that it's this massive, I need to save the world, but people are trying to face everyday issues and see what can help them navigate that. Well, it sounds like a, a uh, challenging and interesting project that you've launched yourself on. Is there anything else you'd like people to know about it? Yeah. If they want to get to know us, please feel free to reach out. You can find us on our website, electionbridge.com. Um, usually easy to find um, if you search me or look me up. And I'm always willing to talk and answer any questions or just learn from other people who's been doing this a lot longer than I have. So never been shy to ask for help. And if anyone feels like they have any information or support or guidance they can give me if they've gone through this before, I'm always open all ears to do it. Great. Well, good to meet you and good luck. That was Akeem. He is at electionbridge.com. This is Nathaniel G. Perlman with the Great Battlefield Podcast. You can find us at greatbattlefield.com or by searching for Great Battlefield in places where podcasts are found. The Great Battlefield is now part of the Democracy Group Podcast Network. Visit democracygroup.org to learn more about other podcasts that cover democracy and civic engagement. You can also help me by leaving comments and good ratings on Apple Podcasts or elsewhere, and by sending me suggestions for great guests to nperlman at gmail.com.